Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to another Thursday night edition of BAMS Radio. I am Thomas Watts, the producer, the wizard, the rock. If you listen to my other show, Scheme Team, I'm also 5,000, according to Murph Baldwin. I wear many nicknames, wear many hats. But this is BAMS, and we have a great show lined up for you this evening. Firstly, obviously, I am not the person that generally brings in the show. That is Drew DeArmond, my co-host. He has been called to do some work for his other radio station, ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville. So he'll be joining us a little bit later this evening. But that doesn't stop the Bama news. We'll have William Redfish Barger generally you know, doing his general hour-ish with us. Going to talk a lot of Tennessee, a lot of Texas A&M. Just to get everybody ready for a, you know, what is going to be a tough game, I think, for the Crimson Tide. But, you know, we also kind of have to revel in the fact that Alabama just uh, beat Tennessee by 39 points. And it's it's a nice problem to have when you're uh, an Alabama fan, if you ask me. But, you know, second hour is going to be pretty interesting. Hopefully Drew will be with us and he'll be able to give his take on the Texas A&M game as well as what he saw from Tennessee. But we've got a bunch of audio. And Drew was nice enough to send it over. Uh, Olin Buchanan of TexAgs.com talked with Drew this morning, I believe. And we're actually going to replay that. Give our fans the, uh, look at, call it the view from the other side of the fence, such as it were, to get everybody ready for the Texas A&M game. And then, I don't know if you know this. I know it's football season, but we're going to talk about some basketball. Suddenly our listener count drops to below, to go into the negatives, but that's okay. We've got a bunch of audio from SEC Media Days, courtesy of a good friend of the show, Kerry Clark. He was able to talk to Corbin Collins, Riley Norris, and was in attendance for the Avery Johnson press conference. We've got a new half hour of basketball audio. Speaking of basketball, and I promise this is the last time I will mention basketball during the first football hour of BAMS Radio, there is a tied tip-off this Friday, which would actually be tomorrow. Kind of, Kind of scary to think about, but... You know, for fans that don't know, the Tide tip-off is supposed to have a quote-unquote NBA All-Star game feel with an autograph session at, at 
an autograph session for both men's and women's basketball, and then something like a skills contest, a dunk contest, a three-point contest. Essentially, if you're familiar with what Kentucky does, where it's a grand reveal of their teams and a chance for fans to see what the players have been doing, et cetera, et cetera, that's what the tide tip-off is going to be. It's just going to be the Alabama version, not the Kentucky version. So, you know, get on down. If you're, if you're coming down for the Texas A&M game, you got something to do Friday night, there you go. And uh, if you do happen to go, maybe you should call us in next, call in next week at 714-510-3707 and give us your impressions of this Tide Tip-Off, uh, let's call it Tide Tip-Off Gala event. That will, will, will be a posh evening on BAMS Radio. But, you know, you can also call in if you want to talk what you saw from Tennessee or what you're looking forward to for Texas A&M. Give us a call at 714-510-3707. I might have to do a little bit of tap dancing to get you on air and talk to you and screen you, but I can figure that out. But you know, let's 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 dive in a little bit. I'll do a little preambulatory, you know, soliloquy, a little preamble here before I have to play a little music to get Redfish on the air and we'll talk to him. As I said at the show, open Alabama won over Tennessee forty nine to ten. Quite frankly, without a couple of mistakes on Jalen Hurts' part, it's probably 63-10. to 10. I am absolutely not being critical of Jalen Hurts. I think he has exceeded expectations, and everything, every sort of criticism that you would level at the young man is strictly superfluous. Things He, he does need to improve, but he doggone sure ain't that bad. But, you know, 49-10, Alabama runs up 430 yards, the most in, what, 20 years, 30 years? My math, my math's gone tonight, folks. I'm sorry. I've been doing, you know, computer geekery all day. So 438 yards on the ground, almost 600 yards total offense. And uh, Bo Scarborough just wanted a high five. Am I right? Am I right? But dominating win, you know, Alabama's defense swarmed. Uh, excuse me, swarmed Josh Dobbs, 32 yards, 32 carries. I mean, you could really. Take a stat, pull it out of the air, look at the box score, and you see Alabama dominance. It was it was a wrecking effort, and uh, Alabama's going to need it against Texas A&M. Let's do a quick overview of A&M. Uh, there is a somewhat hilarious meme going around where it's about time for Texas A&M to do their back-of-the-season swoon. don't know about all that, but what I can say is A&M ranks 109th against the pass in the country. I will say that stat is a little bit inflated by the fact that Tennessee passed all over the Aggies a couple weeks back. But that that's, you know, even if Jalen Hurts is struggling as a passer, which is, again, a little bit of a, a, an overstatement, you have to feel pretty good going into this game for Alabama's passing game. And we'll see about the, about the running game. Obviously, the running game has been Alabama's bread and butter, but... Texas A&M will be rested, and how does a fully healthy Miles Garrett affect how Alabama runs the ball? They're going to have to hit Texas A&M with a few different concepts. The zone read stuff is not going to be as effective because of how strong Miles Garrett and Deshaun Hall are. At least I don't think it will be. I still think they'll do some of it, but it won't be as good. But we'll see. We'll see about that on the on the offensive side. The stats certainly do look pretty good for the Crimson Tide. And, you know, briefly before I do play some music and go grab a, grab a hold of Redfish, let's talk about the Alabama defense against the Texas A&M offense. Texas A&M is surprisingly balanced. Uh, a name you will hear called multiple times is Travion Williams, a true freshman running back. He has been electric for the Aggies. And Trevor Knight, 
of uh, Oklahoma Sugar Bowl beating Alabama fame is the Aggies quarterback. He and Williams form a pretty potent duo. They have about 1,200 rushing yards on the season, and that's really what has been the difference for the Aggies this year. They have a running game to go with a so-so passing game. What it'll be interesting to see, the question that will almost certainly be asked by the talking heads over the next 48 hours leading up to the game, is which Trevor Knight shows up. The Trevor Knight that played against Alabama in the Sugar Bowl has been a wall since. He is a 53% passer, but he's an excellent runner. He has a decent deep ball, but do you really think the Alabama pass rush is going to let him just rear back and throw the ball 24-7? So there's a lot of stuff looking at the statistics that makes you feel pretty good about Alabama's chances. Uh, because if only if there's one stat that I said that I want you to take coming out of the Texas, coming out of the Tennessee game, going into Texas A&M, one yard per carry, 32 yards on 32 carries, Alabama's defense against Tennessee's offense. That's scary good. And if Alabama can make Texas A&M one-dimensional, the brutal honest truth is Trevor Knight doesn't have the accuracy to keep the uh, Aggies within spitting distance of the Crimson Tide. But, you know, just a few opening thoughts. I know I don't get to soliloquy very much, so I hope you enjoyed it. But let's go on. I'm just going to play a little uh, Dixieland Delight and you know, take a quick breather while I have to get William Redfish Barger on the horn. And then we'll have him until about 8. We will be right back on BAMS Radio. Down a backwoods Tennessee byway, one arm on the wheel, holding my lover with the other, a sweet, soft southern thrill. Worked hard all week, got a little jingle on a Tennessee Saturday night. Couldn't feel better, I'm together with my Dixieland tonight. Spend my dollar, park in a holler and meet the mountain moonlight. Hold her up tight, make a little loving, a little turn it up and on a Mason Dixon night. It's my life. on clover, red-tailed hawk, sitting on a limb, chubby old groundhog, croaking bullfrog, free as a feeling in the wind, homegrown country girl. Nothing like a little uh, Dixieland delight interlude while I'm frantically working the phones, wearing many hats this evening, but uh, I have him. On with us, the man, the myth, the 1992 national champion, William Redfish Barger. Fish, great to be with you. How you doing, buddy? 
Doing good, Thomas. How are you, man? Just great, great. Love to be talking football, and you know, if I, if if I could make money doing it, I totally would. But unfortunately, it's just just for funsies. But you know, <laughs> let, let's let's just get right into it. You know, I have to. I, I, I've the first part of the show. I got to just kind of have a monologue, a little soliloquy. I hope I didn't put our listeners to sleep, but you know that could happen. But I talked about UT. You know, Alabama wins forty-nine to ten and really demolishes the Tennessee Volunteers. What were your overall thoughts coming out of that game? Well, you know, to be honest with you, I think the the biggest thing that I took away from, you know, the UT experience, if I was a a Tennessee fan, I I would kind of be scratching my head. You know, this is year four uh, of the Butch Jones era. Um, He's had four complete recruiting classes um, to, you know, build up depth. Um, and I, look, I'm not trying to take anything away from you know the the, the decimation that that team has had with the injuries, but um, you know I go back to the 2007 Alabama Tennessee game, you know when the textbook scandal broke, and Alabama went into Bryant Denny Stadium on that October afternoon. It might have been that October morning. Um, you know, with three of their starting offensive linemen suspended for the game, and Glenn Coffey, their starting running back, suspended for the game. And they proceeded to put up points, I think. It was somewhere in the 40s. Um, you know, that was kind of the John Parker Wilson, D.J. Hall show that day. And so, you know, and that was in year one of Nick Saban when he inherited, you know, all the Mike Shula talent. And I, you know, I was thinking about that, and I've watched the Tennessee game at least three, if not four times since Saturday. And, you know, I was just kind of watching it. I'm like, you know, I I get it. They've had a lot of people hurt on both sides of the ball. But, you know, if you've had four years to recruit and two of those four recruiting classes were ranked top ten recruiting classes, I think one was number four, the other one was number eight, how how do you get yourself into this kind of situation where – you know, you lose, you know, three or four guys on both sides of the ball as, as far as starters are concerned, and you're not even competitive. You know, that game Saturday wasn't even competitive. If, uh, you know, Alabama doesn't gift them a touchdown, um, you know, if Calvin Ridley doesn't drop two passes, if Jalen Hurts is a little bit more accurate on a couple passes, they could have hung 70 on them. Um, so that, that was my biggest takeaway is, you know, is Tennessee, how much longer are they going to be willing to pay Butch Jones $5 million a year? I think he makes four point eight or $4.9 million a year. And are they going to be satisfied, um, you know, being a two, three, four-loss program? Um, I, it, it's, it's just very intriguing to see that unfold. And it's great to be, you know, on the other side of that stick for a change. Um, you know, we, we certainly, as Alabama fans, you know, had a 10-year walk in the woods, you know, post-Gene Stallings until, uh, um, you know, Nick Saban showed up. But I, I just I just think there's a lot of indicators there that, um, you know, Butch Jones may be on borrowed time up in Knoxville. That, that's, a, that's an interesting take. I hadn't really thought about him being on borrowed time, but – You know, if you want to play the conversation forward, Fish, I don't know if you've seen this, but since the game, the Volunteers have lost Khalil McKenzie, one of their defensive tackles, to a torn pectoral muscle, 
and Alvin Kamara messed up his meniscus in the game. So you got to feel like should Alabama see the Volunteers again, it's not going to be any better. Which well, then I think you really have an interesting supposition. But go ahead. I'm well, sorry. but no, again, Thomas. I mean, you know, two years ago, Cahill McKenzie was considered a you know five star slam dunk legacy recruit for Tennessee. His dad. Riley McKenzie is one of the, you know, the most decorated offensive linemen both in Tennessee and, you know, playing for the Oakland Raiders. Um, He was considered a can't-miss prospect, um, a guy that was unblockable. And, you know, when you look at, at, you know, Alvin Kamara, you know, he's a guy that got disgruntled early, you know, was a part of that running back class, I think, in 2013. Um, you know, when Alabama signed Derrick Henry, Alfie Tenpenny, Jones, and, uh, and Kamara, you know, he, he didn't see himself getting on the field quick enough, and he left and he transferred. Um, obviously, he was very talented when, when you see what he's done. But um, you're not going to have a lot of sustained success if, if you don't have, you know, depth. You know, you, you've got to always factor that in for for a football team. Now, certainly, Tennessee and Butch Jones has had to deal with this year is not the norm. But I think that's something that, you know, if I was a UT fan, you know, I would spend a lot of time trying to digest it and analyze it because, you know, this is year four. You know, this is the equivalent of, oh, 2011 for Nick Saban. And I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, if if Alabama had lost four starters on offense and four starters on defense that year, that they would have beaten LSU for the national championship. But I don't think you would see uh, or would have seen them getting embarrassed on the field against one of their biggest rivals. And that's kind of a, you know, I think of apples to apples comparison about where these two programs are. And, uh, you know, I've never been sold on Butch Jones. I've always kind of thought he was a snake oil salesman. Um, You know, they've got a huge commitment up there with the facilities that they've got in place. You know, their their football operations center, um, you know, you could make an argument, you know, that them, Texas A&M, Alabama, and Oregon, and probably Nebraska – are in the same conversation um, as far as football facilities are concerned. And where that comes into play for a a program like Tennessee is, you know, they don't have enough in-state talent to sustain that program. So they've got to recruit all over the country. And, you know, that is something that um, is a big recruiting tool wherever you are is, is having nice facilities. So they've got that in place. Um, they haven't had a – really good track record of success with wins and losses. Um, you know, even last year, you know, taking Alabama down to the wire, um, that, that team last year was a four-loss team. Um, you know, as the injuries continue to mount for this year, um, it wouldn't surprise me to see, you know, one of the, one or two of the teams left on Tennessee's schedule to knock them off. Even if they don't, they go to a ball game and they lose. You know, this was supposed to be their year. 
if you go back to the off season, I mean, they, they had, uh, you know, both Jalen Hurd and Joshua Dobbs hyped as Heisman Trophy candidates. Uh, they were the slam dunk pick to, uh, you know, win the East and go to the, the SEC championship game in Atlanta. And, and, you know, a lot of people had them tagged as being a playoff team. So, you know, I think this has been a, a huge failure, um, you know, at the, at the feet of Butch Jones. And, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, you know, I kind of liken it to um, Thomas, you know, the last seven or eight years of, of Mark Rick's tenure at Georgia. You know, you take away the trip to the 2012 SEC championship game, and, you know, Georgia kind of found themselves – um, you know, in a dysfunctional cycle where they were just kind of satisfied being average and being a two, three, four loss program every year. And, you know, I just kind of, you know, I'm wondering out loud after the financial commitment to facilities, uh, you know, Butch Jones's salary, his assistant salaries, just how long, you know, in year five or year six is, uh, you know, the, the UT fan base going to put up with that stuff. Uh, you know, given your reasoning, I can't disagree. And, you know, as bad as Georgia might look, at least, you know, they didn't lose to Vanderbilt last year. <laughs> well, you know, Thomas, I think that's another talking point. You know, uh, you know, Georgia ran Mark Richt out of the program on a rail car. He's gone down to Miami and, and kind of in the infancy stages of getting their program back to national relevancy. Um, doing a pretty good job down there. Um, you know, they bring in, you know, one of their own in Kirby Smart. Um, he's definitely looked overwhelmed to me at times this season as a head coach. Um, again, it's, you know, good news, bad news for, for people that are involved in the Nick Saban coaching tree. Um, you know, does he become – you know, Jim McElwain and, and resurrect that program, or does he become, you know, Will Muschamp, Derek Dooley, and, and some of the other ones, um, you know, that have kind of, you know, fallen on their face. You know, they've got, you know, I guess the one guy that's had the most success is Jimbo Fisher. Um, there's another team in Florida State that was kind of pegged by the media, you know, this year to be a playoff team, and, you know, they've they've really underperformed this year. So uh, it's an interesting thing to kind of sit back and, and, and watch unfold. It, it's fun to uh, not have to have that problem in the, in the personal, in the fan base, for me personally, because the chicken littles are, are, are a little tough to handle. But, you know, I, I'll, I'll give you a metaphor, Fish. I've used this because Georgia fans or Alabama fans have asked me about Kirby Smart at Georgia. In my reply, I likened it to an aircraft carrier. It is one thing to be the chief engineer on a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier. It is a different thing entirely to come up with the plans, build, and then captain the entire dadgum thing. And uh, I think Georgia fans are seeing that now. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, Thomas, I think the thing that's really probably, or at least it should be the most disturbing thing, um, when you look at what, they've done up to this point in the season. Obviously, they've got a, you know, a true freshman quarterback in Jacob Eason that, that, you know, we still don't really know what he is. I mean, is he going to end up being the next Tom Brady or is he going to end up being the next Jeff George? 
And I personally think he did a pretty bad job of, of choosing um, the football program to go to uh, when you look at the fact that they don't have, you know, their starting left tackle, Tyler Catalina, was playing at Rhode Island two years ago. And, you know, going from Rhode Island to the SEC as a left tackle um, is about the equivalent of going from Leeds High School to Tuscaloosa and expecting somebody to start as a true freshman. Um, they're, they're very talent deficient at the offensive tackle spots. Um, they don't have any really game-changing wide receivers. So just how much can they showcase Jacob Eason's talents as a, as a you know, a gunslinger at quarterback? And then when you flip over to the other – and by the way, they don't have any Cam Robinsons or Jonah Williams currently in their 2017 uh, recruiting class that are already committed to them. So if you flip over to the other side of the ball, they do have some, you know, pretty decent young players along their defensive line that could could end up growing into being, you know, good players, but they're very deficient on the back end. Um, you know, no difference makers at linebackers. Um, you know, I know this was a touchy subject back in the summer, but, you know, just how satisfied and, and uh, content um, you know, is the former Alabama DB Maurice Smith feeling right now? You know, he left the program uh, that he would have probably factored in if not started but played a lot that's sitting right now uh, going into Saturday as the number one team in the country once again and, and you know, transferred over to Georgia who's sitting with the 84th best defense in the country right now. So it, it's interesting to see you know, two or three months after stuff like that happens, how those decisions prove to be good or bad. Certainly. And, you know, let, let's go back to Alabama a little bit now. And uh, I have to say, Fish, I've made fun of myself uh, on a couple of occasions because of the Alabama running back situation. I get asked, who do you think is going to start? And it's like, oh, well, so-and-so is going to start. You know, uh, Damian Harris is going to start. Or, or Josh Jacobs would start because Harris is out. And then out comes Bo Scarborough for the first snap against Tennessee. So what do you make of the Alabama running back situation going forward, you know, going into Texas A&M? And what did you think of Bo Scarborough's performance this past weekend? Well, I thought, you know, going back to the Arkansas game, um, I thought he looked like he was playing uh, with more confidence, um, with, with more surety. Um, that carried over into Saturday against Tennessee. I mean, I think he had five rushes for, you know, 110 yards or something. And I know that 85-yard touchdown kind of skewed the stats a little bit, but, you know, his yards per carry was, was off the charts. And, uh, you know, and I understand that they were, a, you know, a, a injured, you know, unit, but, you know, he, he ran away from, from their secondary um, you know, one of their safeties or corners pulled his hamstring trying to catch up to him. Um, I think he's finally, you know, 100% healthy. Um, he's starting to look like, you know, if you go back to the Arkansas game, you know, the last two games, he's he's gaining confidence, you know, kind of feeling himself a little bit. And I think that's just a bonus for Alabama, uh, you know, going forward into the Texas A&M game this weekend. And then when they, once they get a chance next week to rest up and reload for the, the last third of the, the season, 
Uh, but, you know, you look at that situation, um, and I think it's it's very unique. I mean, you've got both Scarborough and Damian Harris who were, you know, both five-star running backs, you know, in high school. Uh, Damian Harris was considered the number one running back in the country two years ago. Uh, you know, then you've got kind of the, um, you know, the unsung hero of the group and Josh Jacobs who was overlooked by a lot of people. And then, you know, the guy that's kind of bringing up the rear and they just don't have enough, you know, reps and games unless they're, they're blowouts like last Saturday. You know, B.J. Emmons was, you know, he wasn't a five-star, uh, but at least by rivals, he was considered the number one running back in the country last year. And then, oh, by the way, um, you kind of have to, you know, factor in the quarterback, Jalen Hurts, um, as part of that rushing attack. Um, you know, it's the deepest, most talented backfield in the country, in my opinion. Well, I agree. I mean, you know, LSU's around there with Fournette and Geis, but it certainly, it certainly would be a fun debate that we could have going into LSU week there. But, you know, one of the things that I've seen, I think, uh, deserves an offensive lineman's perspective Lester Cotton or Shank Taylor at the right guard position? And what did you see from Cotton this past weekend? Well, I think if you go back to the Arkansas game when, uh, you know, Shank got the concussion and they inserted Lester Cotton in at right guard, um, I think he's done a tremendous job. And, you know, this is an age-old debate of, you know, do you go with the the younger guy that's got more upside versus the, the senior that's, you know, put the time into the program. Um, You know, I I just think that, you know, the rushing attack has improved so much in the last two games. Um, I just think that you have to, you know, keep Cotton in there until he makes two or three, you know, boneheaded plays, missed assignments, penalties, you know, however you want to word it. Um, You know, I love having – you know, Cotton next to Jonah Williams on that right side. Uh, Bradley Bozeman is is really starting to assert himself at center. Um, you know, you've got, you know, two veteran guys on the left side with Pierce Bocker at left guard and Cam Robinson at left tackle. Um, you know, that that's the thing. You know, if you start looking at the numbers, and I'm even giving Alabama kind of the benefit of the doubt, or I should say I'm giving Tennessee the benefit of the doubt. Alabama's played three top 25 teams, Um, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Tennessee, at the time that they played. So, you know, let's use the Butch Jones excuse, you know, about them being injury depleted. And and you you back out the 400 and, I think, 30 yards of rushing that they had last Saturday against Tennessee. But you, you, you just focus on the rushing yards for Ole Miss and Arkansas. That, that they're still rushing in those two games against Ole Miss and Arkansas, still rushed for 299 yards. And, you know, Jalen Hurts is a big part of that. Um, but, you know, in, in, in the, at least the, the two most recent games, I think Lester Cotton has contributed a lot to that. And, you know, I've kind of seen the blocking schemes, um, you know, change a little bit. Um, they're no longer asking guys like Chance Warmack and, and, and DJ Fluker 
um, circa 2012 to, you know, show power at the point of attack and knock a guy four yards off the ball. With, with you know, Jalen Hurts at quarterback and them being so prolific at running these zone read plays, and that's something else that I think that, uh, you know, Alabama fans should be ashamed of themselves over. Let's Let's hit the rewind button back to mid-September you know, when the fan base was losing their minds because Lane Kiffin was running those jet sweeps too many times. Well, guess what that's morphed into? Go back and watch the Tennessee game when they show the the, the jet sweep action to the left and where Jalen Hurts had all of his success running the football against Tennessee was running zone read plays off the backside action to the right of that jet sweep look. And, uh, you know, as of Saturday, um, in the last five years, Alabama is the most prolific zone read rushing attack that college football has seen. And uh, I think you're going to see a lot of continuation of that this weekend, Um, you know, with with Texas A&M having those two uh, very, very talented defensive ends and Miles Garrett um, and the Hall kid. Um, they're both quick twitch guys. They're both going to be excited about getting back into the backfield and, and, you know, making a tackle for a loss. And I think Jalen Hurts will have some of the same opportunities um, to, to run zone replays off of them being, you know, quick twitch guys that want to make explosive plays for losses in the backfield. So, you know, I heard you mention how Alabama's rushing attack by and large, is the best college football has seen over the past few years, given the numbers they're putting up against the competition, which kind of begs the question. And I have to admit I was a little bit stunned when this got rolling shortly after the Tennessee game. But uh, how much do you buy into the Jalen Hurts-Heisman hype that got rolling this past week? Look, I'm the biggest Jalen Hurts fan in the world. Um, You know, I've, I've... you know, I've been following this kid since he was a junior in high school. Um, and I thought Saturday was probably the the best game plan that, that you know, Lane Kiffin has put on the table for him to showcase what he can do and do well. Um, you know, do I think he needs to be involved in the Heisman consideration? No. Um, do I think he's going to be a guy this time next year? Um, that's involved in it? Absolutely. Now, that being said, um, you know, I'm I'm not a a staff writer for ESPN, and I wasn't involved in the committee that gave Jalen Hurts the midseason MVP award for the whole Southeastern Conference. But I think if you really sit down and look at what he's done and what he's brought to the table, and, you know, it's not just me being an armchair quarterback. There's you know, guys that are making a lot of money that have played that position at a high level at ESPN, Kirk Herbstreit, uh, you know, a huge Alabama hater and Danny Cannell. Uh, you know, everybody is talking about, um, you know, Jalen Hurts' emergence at quarterback and, and how having a run, you know, run-pass option threat at quarterback has made this Alabama offense so dangerous and a difficult proposition to defend. And I think this goes back to uh, the 2012 loss to Texas A&M 
um, at home via Johnny Manziel. I think Nick Saban walked out of Bryant-Denny Stadium on that, you know, October afternoon and said, you know what, I'm going to go find me one of these guys. Um, I'm tired of trying to figure it out. Um, I'm going to go get me one of these cats and let somebody else have the onus on them of, of trying to figure out how to stop it. Um, I think if you look at age, um, it's phenomenal what he's been able to do. Um, you, you look at his uh, psychological makeup, his temperament. Um, you know, I, I would love to see a, a heart rate monitor, you know, put on him during a game and see if his pulse ever gets above 74. Because I'm not so sure if it does or not. Um, you know, he, he's captured that football team. Um, you know, he had veteran guys that are going to be first-round draft picks, like O.J. Howard and Jonathan Allen, um, that went to the coaching staff back in fall camp and said, you know what, this is who the quarterback needs to be. Um, you know, for the people out there that, uh, you know, we're begging for Blake Barnett to be the next guy, do, do you really think that Blake Barnett would have been named the ESPN midseason MVP if he'd have stayed and won the quarterback job? I don't. Uh, I think this is a very, very special young man. Um, you know, the only real inadequacies in his game right now is, and this might be something that can be corrected next week during the off week. Um, it might be something that spills over into the off season. But I really don't see it as a problem. I would much rather see Jalen Hurts throwing the football down the field to the spot that he sees the wide receiver open at versus trying to throw the wide receiver open. And, you know, to, to be a, a very good, you know, deep threat quarterback, he's going to have to get to that point. Stage in the game, I would rather see him underthrow the football where the Alabama tight end or wide receiver can only catch it versus trying to throw people open and putting balls in bad spots. You know, hit the rewind button in 2011 and look at all the deep ball opportunities that A.J. McCarron had, and he was overthrowing every one of the Alabama wide receivers by 10 yards. So, you know, Jalen's not the first young Alabama quarterback, especially under Nick Saban, that's kind of struggled a little bit with completing deep passes. Um, but, but I think if you just look at the body of work and, and look at what, you know, this young man is brought to the table, um, it, it's phenomenal. I mean, you know, the guy doesn't get rattled. Um, you know, he's had his, you know, ass knocked off against Old Miss, uh, came back the next drive and, and you know, had a, 50- or 60-yard drive for a touchdown. You know, had the same thing happen to him against Tennessee. And, you know, the kid's got ice water in his veins. And I just think you're in the infancy stages of watching somebody. And I think there's two guys in the same conversation. I think Jalen Hurts has a chance. And I don't know why people keep saying for the next two or three years, you're not going to see a six-foot-one quarterback go early in the NFL draft. He's here for the next three years. Um, but you've got, you know, a quarterback in Jalen Hurts that has a chance to be the greatest of all-time quarterback in Alabama. And on the other side of the ball, over there to the right, um, I really hope John Hanna has enjoyed his four or five decades 
um, of being considered the best offensive lineman that's ever played at Alabama. Because number 73 that starts at right tackle right now will erase all of that in the next three to four years. And, and you know, let, let's let's talk about Jonah Williams a little bit. You, know, you mentioned Deshaun Hall and Miles Garrett. Uh, one of the things that John Chavis, the Aggies defensive coordinator, likes to do is shift his players around to different positions to give different offensive linemen to block them. Uh, are you at all worried, or are you looking kind of looking forward to seeing how Jonah Williams stands up to a guy like Deshaun Hall, and do you think he's going to be able to win that matchup consistently? Well, I think if you're John Chavis, um, Thomas, you have to pick your poison. And, you know, as good as Miles Garrett is, and I'm convinced he's going to be the number one player taken in the NFL draft, um, you know, I, I guess the draft's now the first week in May, so next May. But, you know, if you look at the two previous matchups, I think he's got six or seven tackles and one sack, uh, you know, going up against Cam Robinson for two years and a combination of Austin Shepard and, and Dominic Jackson last year. So he really has not had a big impact on this game. Now, certainly having Hall emerge on the other side, you know, changes things a little bit. But, uh no, I'm not worried about it at all. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, Cam Robinson showed as a true freshman. Um, he, he was able to match up with him. Um, I think Jonah Williams can, can hold his own. You know, and again, I think you have to understand how difficult of an animal that is for both Cam Robinson and Jonah Williams to sit out there on an island and have just – freakish athletes, you know, in, in Miles Garrett's, uh, uh, you know, toolbox that can run a four five forty at 6'5", 260 pounds, and understand what a talented individual it takes to, you know, execute at a high level against an athlete like that. Uh, but, no, I'm not worried about Cam Robinson. I'm not worried about Jonah Williams. Um I think that if you look at what Texas A&M has done collectively on defense this year, um, they're very susceptible to a good running attack. And, you know, I would hope that, you know, Lane Kiffin, um, you know, learns something. Um, as depleted as that Tennessee defense was on Saturday, Thomas, let's, let's be realistic. They still had Derek Barnett at one defensive end and Vareem at the other. And, and outside of the one play, um, you know, where Cam Robinson got beat by Derek Barnett and, and the, you know, the, the fumble was caused, Cam Robinson played at a high level. Uh, Jonah Williams, is, especially now that the, the blocking schemes have changed so much from, uh, you know, the, the, the asking these guys to knock people four and five yards off the ball with these zone reads concepts, they're basically now just asking people to get in the way of defenders. And, you know, look at the stats against Tennessee. I think there were, you know, 10 runs where the running back wasn't touched um, until he was four or five yards down the field. Um, You know, you could have driven a Mack truck through some of those holes, um, you know, that were generated. So I think that with having Jalen Hurts at quarterback and having that you know, run-pass option, zone-read quarterback um, factor for opposing defensive coordinators to have to factor in. 
you know, I think Nick Saban has flipped the script on a lot of, of, you know, the rest of college football. And like I said earlier, he said, you know what? I couldn't figure it out. Now it's y'all's chance to try and figure it out, uh, you know, because I'm coming at you with it. And I think if you look at where they're at as a team, um, you know, going into this weekend against Texas A&M, I'm not sure if there's not a more balanced football team in college football. Um, I think right now Alabama is eighth in total offense on the offensive side, maybe seventh in total defense on the defensive side. And, you know, with all the talent, uh, you know, the explosive playmakers on offense and, you know, uh, the guys that are capable of scoring uh, uh, pick sixes and picking fumbles up and, and running wild on defense on the other side, they're a very dangerous team. It, you know, you mentioned blocking and that, that runners not being hit until five or six yards down the line. Uh, just to go back to Tennessee real fast before we really dig into this Texas A&M game a little more, how impressed were you with the abilities of guys like, uh, you know, highlight like Garrick Dieter on the first end-around touchdown pass, the jet sweep action, to, uh, jet sweep action touchdown run, excuse me, to our Darius Stewart. How impressive was the blocking not just on the interior by the offensive line, but on the exterior players from guys like Dieter or O.J. Howard. How impressed were you with that coming out of Tennessee? Well, you know, certainly I I credit Mario Cristobal's emergence as the tight end coach for probably turning O.J. Howard into a guy that would have been a second or a third-round draft pick last year if he had wanted to come out and and go that route. And I, I do expect him to end up being a, you know, a late, you know, somewhere between 20 and 30 in the first round this year. Um, you know, that that's a mindset that you have to have. And I think the same thing could be said for Garrett Dieter. You know, this was a guy that was a 1,000-yard wide receiver last year um, at Bowling Green. Those statistics have not translated well to, you know, Alabama and the SEC. Uh, but, but he's found another role for himself. I mean, he, he's a guy that's you know, pancaking DBs, um, you know, on jet sweeps, on zone read plays, you know, on that reverse that you were talking about a minute ago. And I think that's the niche that he's kind of carved uh, out for himself in this offense. And I think another, you know, intriguing thing, if you want to talk about the wide receiver position at Alabama, and I, I wish I could give you some inside information on this, but I don't know. But, you know, it looks to me like, you know, I don't know if, if they're both hurt, if they're both in the doghouse, maybe a combination of both. But it looks to me like Trevon Diggs, you know, another true freshman, talented true freshman, is basically on the verge of surpassing both Robert Foster and Cam Sims at that wide receiver depth chart. So, I, and I think that's probably the most – exciting thing to me about this offense and you know I don't know if Lane Kiffin's going to be back to to run it again next year or not but if you look at it um, you know you've got if you go by the the lineup that was out there against Tennessee you've got nine starters coming back next year off of that offense that lined up against Tennessee you know Cam Robinson's going pro and obviously OJ Howard's a senior but if you look at a lot of those guys that are playing roles, 
you know, Jalen Hurts is a starting quarterback, true freshman. Jonah Williams, starting right tackle, true freshman. You know, then you've got Joshua Jacobs. You've got B.J. Emmons. You've got Miller Forrestal, Travon Diggs. Um, you know, there's six guys right there that are true freshmen that are playing a heavy hand in the success of this 2016 offense. Oh, certainly. I've been, I've said on this program, and I think you've agreed with me in the past, the offense next year could challenge for the all-time scoring record if Nick Saban lets them. And uh, that's a scary thing to think about, considering they're averaging 45 this year. But Well, you know, Thomas, I think the, the other thing is, and I think this is a, you know, a byproduct of having so many young players that are factoring into it. But, you know, go back to the Arkansas game. Um, you know, if Jalen Hurts throws some more accurate passes and Alabama wide receivers don't catch him and, you know, Josh Jacobs doesn't get a pinched nerve in his elbow and doesn't fumble that ball going into the end zone against Arkansas, that's ugly. You know, the same thing last Saturday against Tennessee. Um, you know, if some things fall into place, if, if there's better execution, they very easily could have hung 70 points on Tennessee. So they're still – leaving explosive plays and, and explosive plays for touchdowns out there on the field every week. And I think that's a, a byproduct of the youth over there on that side of the ball. But, man, you won't hear me complain about it because it's fun to watch. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, well you know, let, let's, let's dive into this Texas A&M game a little bit and I actually want to go on the defensive side of the ball. If you compare Texas A&M, this iteration of Texas A&M to the past couple of years, one of the things that really jumps out to me is the ability for Texas A&M to gain yards on the ground. Uh, true freshman Travion Williams has about 700, and transfer quarterback Trevor Knight has about 500. Obviously, I believe that is tops in the SEC, but Alabama's defense is tops in the country at stopping the run. It's something like 60 yards per game, and the per carry average is almost hilariously low, 2.05. So, Fish, you know, with your football knowledge, you know, pick your brain a little bit. Given the meeting of these two units that are performing at a high level, does Alabama shut down AM's running game this upcoming Saturday? You know, Thomas, I think that's the most intriguing matchup of the game is Texas A&M's offensive line versus Alabama's front seven. And I think it's both on the ground and, uh, you know, pass protection. They've done a great job of, of opening holes for Williams. They've done a great job of, you know, pass protecting uh, Trevor Knight. But look at who they've played up until this point. Um, you know, that, that Tennessee game, you know, I think that screams – you know, some inadequacies to me. I mean, Tennessee, you know, committed seven turnovers in that game. Um, you know, they still took them to overtime. Uh, you know, the only other two, you know, decent teams that they've played were Arkansas and UCLA. And that, that to me, is, is what, you know, Saturday is all about, is, is can Texas A&M's offensive line uh, you know, create space in the run game, uh, you know, based on how guys like Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen 
are, are abusing the guys that try and block them. I don't see them having sustained success against Alabama uh, running the ball between the tackles. Um, you know, but they've only given up, I think, either four or five sacks. But, you know, Trevor Knight is not a prototypical drop-back quarterback. You know, he's a run-pass option guy. And, you know, he had some success against Alabama's defense, um, you know, in that 2014 Sugar Bowl. But this is not the same Alabama defense um, that he faced when he was at Oklahoma. You know, he's not going to have a guy um, – oh, God, who what was his name? Uh, not Darren Lake, but number 99. I can't remember his name. Brandon Ivory? Ivory. Maybe. He's not going to have a 350-pound Brandon Ivory uh, chasing him to the sideline and jumping up in the air and trying to bat the ball down. He's going to have, you know, Ryan Anderson, who I think is on the verge right now being a, an early second, late first-round draft pick. He's, to me, the most complete defensive end in college football. Um, when you look at what he can do as a pass rusher versus holding the point of attack versus the run, uh, you know, guys like Tim Williams and Reuben Foster and probably the uh, best story, I think, so far through half the season and Sean Dion Hamilton. You know, this is a totally revamped defense. They can play well in space. They can change directions. Um, to me, I think the only way – that Texas A&M can hurt Alabama offensively is, you know, there are some mismatches with their big, tall, wide receivers, um, you know, versus Alabama's DBs. So, to me, that becomes a chess match between, you know, the pass rush from Alabama's front seven uh, versus Trevor Knight, you know, having another game like he did against Alabama in the Sugar Bowl when he was in Oklahoma. But so far through, uh, you know, the midpoint of the season um, at Texas A&M, he has not shown to be the same accurate passer uh, that he was when he was at Oklahoma three years ago. But, again, uh, we've all seen the, uh, you know, the Chad Kellys and the Stephen Garcias and a lot of other quarterbacks have the game of their lives versus Alabama since Nick Saban's been the head coach. That's very true, and, you know, something you didn't bring up, Fish. I didn't realize this until I looked at the Texas A&M depth chart. From guard to guard, they go freshman, true freshman, redshirt freshman, true sophomore. And uh, given what we saw Deron Payne do this past weekend to, I believe it was the backup Tennessee center, you got to feel pretty good about that going into the game. Or So def- definitely some interest, some intrigue there. So, you know, I agree with you that the Bama front seven versus the Texas A&M, you know, running offensive line is going to be a great story. For me, I'm looking forward to Christian Kirk versus Minka Fitzpatrick because Kirk is their short, you know, short slot guy. And right. I think that's going to be a hell of a matchup. But, you know, I, I, I agree. But I, let's go to the other side. You know, I, I think – I know the answer to this question, but I'll, I'll because we've talked about it a little bit. But if you're attacking this A&M defense, like I said, they're 109th in the country and against the pass. How, how do you see Alabama attacking this group? I, on top of the the 109th against the pass, I think the thing that jumped out to me the most going back to the A&M Tennessee game is 
Tennessee ate the A&M defense up between the tackles. But how would you attack this group if you were Lane Kiffin? Well, the way I would attack it, Thomas, is this way. Um, Being, you know, I kind of liken Miles Garrett to the same player, even though he's bigger, taller, and longer. I kind of liken him to the same player that Carl Lawson is at Auburn. Um, you know, both of them are, are elite pass rushers. But if if if, if you met, if John Chavis wants to line Miles Garrett up across from Cam Robinson for four quarters, you know, Cam Robinson is 330 pounds. Um, you know, he's got 60 pounds on Miles Garrett. You know, the, the, the best way to quiet Miles Garrett is to run right at him at the point of attack because he's not going to silence Cam Robinson. Uh, you know, trying to run fit against him for four quarters. And, you know, I, I think both of their defensive ends, as talented as they are, you know, they're undersized guys that play well in space. But like you just said, uh, Tennessee had a lot of uh, success running between the tackles against them. I think they had 280, 285 yards rushing. And, and I know that skewed a little bit because it went into double overtime. But I think that's the way you attack them. And I think you can feed off of, you know, their level of aggression as far as trying to get up the field. Um, That's where Jalen Hurts and guys like Calvin Ridley and O.J. Howard, um, you could get creative with with some run-pass options. Um, If it were me, if I were Lane Kiffin, um, I would roll Jalen Hurts out 20 times this game. Uh, you know, if Miles Garrett or, or Hall wants to, you know, rush up the field and, and play the, hey, I'm going to pad my sack stats, uh, you know, you release Damian Harris uh, underneath them. Uh, you, you, you roll out uh, O.J. Howard on a drag route from the backside, and you drop the ball in a bucket right over the top of their heads. Um, I think Alabama has an opportunity in this game, if, if Lane plays his cards right, of, of putting up a lot of yards and a lot of points against this Texas A&M defense. Well, you know, with that said, we're getting close to the end of the hour, Fish, so I guess I'll get ready to get go ahead and let you go. But I have to ask you, before I do, you have a score prediction for this game? You know, I was a little bit off last week, Thomas. Um, you know, I, I predicted ten. If I'm not mistaken, I think I predicted ten uh, the Alabama Tennessee game, thirty-eight to thirteen. I I see the same, uh, you know, kind of game. I, I think Texas A&M will make a good game of this in the first half, uh, but I think Alabama gets rolling late, and I'm going to agree with. Uh, you know, my former head coach, Gene Stallings, who went on the record today and said that he thinks that this Alabama team is 20 points better uh, than Texas A&M. So, you know, I'm going 48-28. to 28. Well, I after my last Tennessee week, where I thought Tennessee would be a close game, I am going to retire from the score pick game fish I'll be quite honest I do want to expand on one point before I let you go and something that I meant to get to before and I apologize but something that you look at with Texas A&M that I think our listeners would appreciate and you're welcome to disagree in the instances you highlighted with UCLA and with Tennessee in both of those games Texas A&M was comfortably ahead 
you know, UCLA, I believe, I believe they were up 24 to 9. And Tennessee, it was 35 21. And heck, Travian Williams almost salted it away. But Texas A&M let those teams back in the game. So I guess one more question before I let you go. Do you think this A&M team is going to be able to sustain for four quarters, given what we've seen? Thomas, and I think you've already answered your question, and you don't really realize it. And, and you mentioned <laughs> the guy by no, and you mentioned the guy by name. Um, you know, I, I watched this guy as a true freshman last year. Not only wrecked Leonard Fournette's Heisman Trophy campaign, but he also wrecked Ethan Posick's Remington campaign as being the best center in college football last year. And I watched him versus Auburn when A&M played him, and Montravius Adams had a lot of success. I think even though the stats may not show it, Thomas, I think Deron Payne is going to be the unsung hero against Texas A&M. He's going to shut their ability down unless they're willing to double-team him, which will free up Reuben Foster and Sean Dion Hamilton um, to do run blitzes and, and run through the gaps like Jeremy Pritt's been dialing it up all year. Uh, I, I really think the only way Texas A&M can make a game of this Saturday is to throw the football successfully deep on first down. Uh, and maybe take advantage of, you know, those six four, six five wide receivers that they've got, um, you know, versus Minka Fitzpatrick and, and Ronnie Harrison and, and, and Marlon Humphrey. But I just don't see that playing out. I think this Alabama defense is special, and uh, I think they're going to rise to the occasion Saturday. You know, I know people are worried about it, um, you know, because – you know, A&M was off last week, Alabama wasn't. But think about this. In the last two games, with 10 minutes left to go in the fourth quarter, uh, Alabama's first-team defense has been sitting over there sucking on oxygen and Gatorade. The backups have been in. So they're well-rested, um, even though they've had to play uh, one more game than A&M has. Very true, Fish. Well, uh Thank you for the hour. I really appreciate it, and your insights are always uh, always liked, and uh, I, get, I get compliments about you from random listeners all the time. So thanks for your time this evening, Fish. Thomas, I enjoyed it, buddy. Absolutely. Well, that was William Redfish Barger, you know, doing his normal hour with us. Uh, we always appreciate hearing his insights. Obviously, former player probably knows a little bit more than radio producer, and so you know, he'll give you the perspective that you're after. But I've got 8.02 on my clock, so let's do this. I'm feeling a small break and some good vibrations. When we come back, I'll open up phone lines if you want to talk about you know, what you saw from Tennessee or what you see coming up this weekend from Texas A&M. Give us a holler at 714-510-3707, and we'll get you on the air. If no calls, that's okay, too. We'll have a little bit of audio from Olin Buchanan, but we will be right back for hour number two of BAM's Radio.
And we are back for hour number two of BAMS Radio. Uh, I have to admit, I accidentally faked both the listeners and myself out. I was going to play some Beach Boys, but the uh, the play buttons got confusing. Apparently, reading a board is beyond me this evening. But I uh, hope you enjoy the little breather. You know, let's, let's jump right into what we were going to do for hour number two. Uh, obviously, with any luck, Drew DeArmond will be joining me. He'll give his take on Tennessee and give us a look at A&M as well as some of the basketball news that he's got coming. He's going to be bringing to the table. But for now, I want to play a little bit of audio. This is an interview with Olin Buchanan that Drew, uh, Drew conducted. Olin Buchanan is a member of TexAgs.com. So he'll be given the Texas A&M side. You know, Redfish and I hopefully gave you the uh, – the skinny from Alabama's perspective, but here is the Texas A&M perspective from Olin Buchanan with Drew DeArmond on 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville. Olin, uh, good morning. Always great to reconnect with you. How are you? I'm doing very well, Drew. Thanks for having me on. Uh, absolutely, Olin. And uh, this is going to be a big game. There's been a lot at stake in the last since 2012, really, uh, with Texas A&M and Alabama. There's always been one of them in the conversation for the national championship and in contention. A&M has several times uh, in the last uh, few seasons been 5-0, and and it's been a huge game for them. Now they're for the first time 6-0 and under Kevin Sumlin, even more at stake seemingly uh, as they have been able to right the ship after a tumultuous offseason. Now a golden opportunity uh, on the road uh, in Tuscaloosa. Some similarities to that 2012 team, though. Uh, Trevor Knight, as good as he's been, I don't put him in the category of Johnny Manziel, but this may be a better all-around football team. Uh, talk about uh, the, what your your thoughts now at A&M and what we've seen and able to get over the hump against Tennessee and get to 6-0, and though I, much like the UCLA game, I think it got closer down the stretch and ended up being an overtime game when uh, A&M probably should have closed it out earlier. Yeah, they uh, definitely had their opportunities. Uh, uh, really, to settle the issue by halftime, the offense got stagnant or they would you know, drop a pass on a drive uh, – uh, or uh, have a penalty, uh, they had a chance really to take control of that football game and let it get away. And that was the same thing they did against uh, UCLA, like you mentioned, Drew. So uh, A&M has not played a really good, strong uh, game for all four quarters yet. It seems like it, there's always been at least one quarter where they either look like they got disinterested, with, as crazy as that seems, or just you know had a lapse or whatever. Um they feel like they haven't played their best football game, and uh, uh, you know it's time to do it. If there's ever a time, it's this weekend. So uh, you know we'll see. But uh, yeah, they they've uh, you know, they, they've been very good uh, in some games. Uh, like I said, for three quarters they played a heck of a football game against Auburn, but they would get close to scoring and then have to settle for field goal. So. Uh, uh, they're still uh, as good as they've been. They still have some significant room for improvement. Mm-hmm. And that uh, you know uh, begs the question: Can they put it all together against Alabama? That's what it's going to take uh, to get a huge road win. And uh, and uh, Owen, uh, one of the big storylines, of course, is going to be the health of Miles Garrett. Uh, when we last saw him a couple of weeks ago, he just played on third downs against Tennessee. He had an ankle issue. I know you guys had a chance to speak with him. Uh, what's the buzz coming uh, from uh, College Station with how healthy he will be going into this contest against the Crimson Tide? 
Yeah, I think he's healthy. I don't know if I'm, you know, I'd say he's 100%, but he's probably at least 90%. He said he called himself 65 to 70% in that game against Tennessee. But, uh, you know, he's, he's had two weeks to heal up. And, uh, you know, if it was, you know, if it was, I don't want to say not serious, but if it was, if it was too serious, he would not have been able to, to play that game against Tennessee at all, you would think. So, uh, uh, having played against Tennessee and then having two weeks to essentially rest it and recover, um, I think you'll see Miles at, uh, if not at full strength, you know, close enough to where, you know, there's no excuses there. Mm-hmm. And he is uh, one of the two best defensive linemen in the or three, John Allen uh, himself, uh, and in my opinion, uh, Derek Barnett of the Volunteers, uh, probably the three best DLs all around in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, I, I know he's improved against the run. He and Deshaun Hall, they're really going to have to be solid against this Alabama team uh, Saturday. Any concerns after, though, the uh, Tennessee performance, uh, Tennessee rushing for 283 yards? Now, we know Miles wasn't in there a lot on first and second down. Uh, this, But uh, this Aggie team, uh, they got gashed pretty good uh, by uh, Tennessee uh, and gave up 684 yards. Uh, and this Alabama offense, as we've seen with Jalen Hurts, has, be, has added a new dimension and has really started running the football well. Your thoughts on the matchup, this uh, Texas A&M defense versus this uh, or Crimson Tide offense? Well, you know, uh, number one, of course there's some concerns um, when a, a, a team runs like that on you or just moves the football like that on you. Um, I think the good thing about that is uh, it happened then. And, not, you know, you don't want to find out that uh, you have some issues that you got to get, uh, that you have to address, you know, in the Alabama game. The fact that you've had two weeks to try to uh, uh, address your own issues, I, I think, is, you know, is, is a plus for A&M. I, look, uh, I don't think A&M's defense is as bad as it looked. Uh, that was another one of those games. You know, for three quarters, they played pretty well defensively. Um uh, I think they learned that uh, just making contact isn't going to get a guy on the field, uh, you know, get him on the ground if he's, uh, uh, you know, if he's running with some determination the way Alvin Kamara and, and Josh Dobbs were. So um, I think, uh, but again, I, I think that A&M's defense is better than it showed in, in the uh, fourth quarter, especially especially that game. Um, a, a healthy Miles Garrett will make a difference. Uh, I think they're pretty good in the defensive line. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about the, the interior with the, the defensive tackles there, and there's so much, so much attention that goes to the end, and rightly so. But one of the big differences about the defensive, uh, about the defense for A&M this year is they actually have uh, quality defensive tackles, and uh, uh, you know I think that they're a team that can hold up uh, pretty well against Alabama's um, uh, offensive line. You know the question is going to be if they if they can. Uh, be effective against Jalen Hurd on the zone read and then not get burned for some deep balls. And I think that the area where I would be most concerned about is if Calvin Ridley or somebody like that gets some one, you know, get some one-on-one coverages on uh, uh, the A&M cornerbacks who have been, uh, let's say, up and down. Yeah, I was going to inconsistent to be nice about it. <laughs> uh, and that you know that could be an area where Alabama has some significant uh, a significant advantage. So a going to have to. Uh, what they have to hope to do is put, you know, play well enough against the run uh, to put Alabama into some obvious passing situations and then get some pressure on uh, on Jalen Hurts. Now we'll see if they're able to do that. 
And then uh, I know we've already seen ad nauseum that uh, A&M recruited Jalen Hurst very hard. Uh, Kevin Sumlin's very familiar with Jalen and his father, Avrion Hurts, and uh, from Channel View, Texas, in the Houston area. Um, uh, and I've also heard that this game will have special meaning for Jalen because he's so familiar with that program. And it seemed down the stretch, Olin, that if he hadn't uh, kept his commitment to Alabama with the late push from A&M because of uh, uh, the uh, Kyler Murray and Kyle Allen transfers, he might have ended up in College Station. <laughs> yeah, think of all the ways that, that Kyler Murray, Kyle Allen uh, – uh, fiasco is hurt A&M. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that's just one more to pile on. But and if uh, you know, it's one thing losing to Alabama. It's another thing when you're losing to Alabama and Texas kids making a big uh, impact. That kind of makes it uh, hurt a little bit more. But uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure A&M would would love to have uh, Jalen Hurts on the roster, uh, and they would love to have Jalen Hurts not on the Alabama roster. But it is what it is, and. Uh, you know, A&M's going to go in there absolutely respecting Jalen Hurts and Alabama and everything that they've accomplished. Uh, but I don't think they'll go in scared. No, I don't think so either. Uh, when you're 6-0, you've got to be very confident. And I think the infrastructure of this team is stronger. And a big part of that is Trevor Knight. Uh, now, at times, I've, I've compared him to Jake Coker, uh, Owen, only because uh, throwing the football, it hasn't been picturesque all the time. But the bottom line is he's been winning. Uh, and he's made tons of plays with his legs, which I think has surprised a lot of people how effective he's been running that zone read. Uh, but just kind of talk about his role. It's gonna, he's going to have to play, I think, his best game of the year. But he's capable. We know he's already uh, beaten this Alabama team. It's been well documented uh, for that 2013 Sugar Bowl. Uh, yeah, but I'm hearing all over the place that this might be the best Alabama team ever. So uh, he hadn't beaten this team, you know, that the uh, – and frankly, um, uh, Trevor has been. First of all, he's been a godsend for A and M. He need, they, A&M needed a, a quarterback with some strong leadership skills that could unite a fragmented team, and he's done that. Uh, but and he's made some big plays. You know, watching Trevor play, I've compared it, and I don't know if you ever make it over to Tunica or someplace like <laughs> that. But I, I I compare it to playing roulette. You know, you you might not like. Uh, the results for you know seven or eight spins in a row, but when you do hit, uh, it pays off quite a bit. And that's uh, he's been a big play guy, whether it be running for you know long touchdowns against Tennessee or and uh, and uh, uh, Arkansas, making some deep passes for touchdowns or, or setting up touchdowns like he did against Auburn and and UCLA and, and Arkansas. So uh, he's been a big play guy, uh, but the Aggies frankly need him to be more consistent. He's uh, at least one game, at least one time in every game, he's made a questionable decision with the football that resulted uh, – uh, well, maybe he hasn't thrown uh, an interception every game, but he's thrown an interception in a lot of games where you you just kind of scratch your head and think, you know, what did he think he saw? Um, or, you know, there's been some problems. Uh, he fumbled the ball to, at the two-yard line against Arkansas going in. You know, had a fumble against South Carolina when he got hit from behind. But you would have thought that, you know, he understood that he was trying to get out of the pocket and to take better care of the football. So um, it's one thing you throw a, an interception against South Carolina. You do that against Alabama, and it's going to hurt you because everybody knows that Alabama's on offense when they're on defense. So uh, I, it, it's very uh, important. Everybody knows this, that Trevor Knight not only play well, 
but he's going to have to take care of the football. And uh, if he doesn't take care of the football, you know how uh, A&M's going to be in trouble. Well, Owen, and I know you talked about uh, Calvin Ridley and our, and, and our Darius Stewart and, and uh, that group of receivers, O.J. Howard, batching up with the A&M secondary. Uh, the A&M, uh, Armani Watts, and uh, that duo at safety, very good for the Aggies. But the corners, as you said, suspect at times. Well, a big matchup for Alabama as well. Alabama's secondary has been a big play group, scoring a lot of touchdowns, but they've given up big plays. This wide receiver group, much more talented than the one at Tennessee. Uh, Christian Kirk, Josh Reynolds, who I still don't think gets enough respect. Uh, Ricky Seals-Jones now looks to be healthy. Uh, Speedy Noel, very talented group. Alabama going to have to tackle well like they did against Tennessee. This is uh, some weapons Trevor Knight can take advantage of and should be an interesting matchup to watch. Yeah, I think the A&M receivers are capable of, of making some big plays against the Alabama secondary. Um, they're they're capable of making big plays against anybody. You know, there's some NFL players um, at wide receiver for for A&M, um, but is Trevor Knight going to have enough time to find the open guy? Is he going to be able to uh, be able to stand firm? in the pocket and deliver the football on time. That's the question. I have no doubt about the, the ability uh, and the big play potential of A&M receivers. The, the question you have is uh, whether Trevor can get him the ball uh, against the pass rushes. If you know, Tim Williams or some of those guys are hanging all over Trevor, it may not matter what, what, uh, what good, how good the move is that uh, Christian Kirk made or, or whether or not uh, Josh Reynolds you know, beat his man deep. If you can't get him the football – then they're just running track. And your thoughts on Jim Turner and this offensive line, it seems to me to be much stronger than the one we saw from Tennessee. Of course, Tennessee's is also banged up, Owen, but even when they weren't early in the year, they weren't getting a hat on a hat, weren't getting movement. Uh, A&M, their running game this year has been much better with Trevor Knight and then Travion Williams, who we need to bring up, leading the SEC in rushing. What a start to his career for the Houston Natives. Yeah, uh, Travion's been spectacular. He's, you know, it seems like every game he's had a long run. Uh, you know, he had a couple of 30-yard touchdown runs, I guess it was, against Arkansas. Had the 89-yard touchdown run, I think it was, against Auburn. Uh, long touchdown Well, should have been a long touchdown run against uh, Tennessee. He knows to take care of the ball better now. <laughs> you saw that where they punched it out just before he crossed the goal line. So, yeah, he's been a spectacular running back and a big part of his success uh, beyond that he's just, you know, a, a, a marvelous talent is that that offensive line has uh, has performed well and it's gotten better every week that you would expect a young offensive line like A&M's to do under the coaching of a guy like Jim Turner. You know, I don't know if you – I'm sure you know it, Drew, but uh, they do have senior tackles, but they're uh, from guard to guard. They're going they're going fresh, true freshman, redshirt freshman, and a – sophomore who's a first-year starter so uh, uh, a lot of youth there a lot of inexperience but they've gotten better uh, every uh, every week and uh, uh, has actually fared well against a pretty solid defensive front I don't think anyone uh, disrespects that Auburn defensive front or Tennessee's or uh, or uh, Arkansas for that matter even UCLA uh, they feel like they have a couple of pros in their defensive front and uh, that A&M offensive line has played pretty pretty well now are you fighting a different animal this week absolutely so uh i, I think this is that uh that game that measures just by how far that a&m offensive line has come and how far they have to go 
Yeah, and then the, it's going to be a huge uh, factor in the game, no doubt about that, Olin. And, uh, it, but, of course, the intangibles. Uh, there's been a lot played up about uh, Kevin Sumlin enjoying the underdog card. Uh, they were able to shock Alabama in 2012. Johnny Manziel was probably the hottest player in America. It was a springboard to the Heisman Trophy. Uh, A&M right now, kind of, uh, they have been flying under the radar, but now up to sixth in the country, uh, can make a huge statement Saturday and put themselves in position. You win this game, uh, you're the favorite in the Western Division. Yeah, and, and you know, um, uh, Drew, if you're the favorite in the West, and, and I think it'll be very difficult I'll put it this way. It'd be unlikely that the winner of this game doesn't win the West. Uh, I mean, there's still work to do uh, for either team. But, you know, you, you get that win, and A&M already has a win over Auburn. And Alabama, you know, Alabama, they've already beaten Ole Miss. So you, you feel like the winner of this game definitely has a, is, is a likely winner of the division. And if you win the division, you're probably going to win the conference. And if you win the conference, you're going to get in the playoffs. So, uh, there's so much at stake in this game. It's, it's. Uh, I know it's old hat for Alabama. They're used to games like this, but you know it's kind of a new deal for A&M. And then finally, and this is Owen Buchanan, the assignments editor for TexasAgs.com, uh, the first and foremost source of information for Texas A&M uh, insight. Uh, what What are your thoughts in your gut about what does A&M need to do on both sides of the ball to win this game? Um, you know. I, Without wanting to sound like a coach, you know, first and foremost, take care of the football. Don't turn it over because, like I said, Alabama's on offense when they're on defense. So you can't – you've got to do everything you can, to, and maybe that includes pray, to make sure Alabama doesn't <laughs> score one of those non-offensive touchdowns. Uh, so I think that's the first thing. And then secondly, uh, I don't think A&M's under any illusions that they're going to go out and rush for 200 yards again. I get, you know, do it against Alabama like they have everybody else. But run efficiently run effectively if you got a third and one you know find a way to pick it up uh you know get three and four yards understand that three and four yards is a win and uh just you know run well enough to uh to to make the next down the first down is uh you know make it makeable and then on uh defense you're going to have to you know you need those defensive ends they're they're called they've been told that they're nfl caliber players high draft choices will play like it uh you know, uh, uh, do a good job and run defense on, against that zone read, and then on passing downs, make sure you get some uh, some pressure and try to make Jalen Hurts uncomfortable uh, when he's throwing the ball, and see if they can't make him look like a freshman. Then that'll be easier said than done, but anything is, is possible. And this is a very talented A and M group, uh, especially at defensive end, as you said, Deshaun Hall, Miles Garrett. Uh, the safety spots led by Armani Watts, big interception to end the Tennessee game. Should be a fun matchup on both sides of the ball. Trevor Knight trying to continue the magic against Alabama. Well, Owen, we always appreciate it. Let everybody know where they can read your stuff. and of course where they can, uh, connect with you. That was Olin Buchanan of TexAgs.com, giving a little insight into the A&M side of things. Uh, just a brief comment for fans that, you know, just were curious. It is a very dangerous thing to say that the winner here is the favorite in the West because both teams still have to play LSU. And, well, LSU is LSU, quite frankly. But let's shift gears real fast and talk about basketball for a bit. This is some audio from Kerry Clark. Kerry Clark was able to attend some of 
SEC Basketball Media Days, I believe. And this is actually audio from an, a press conference that Avery Johnson gave. So this is about 25 minutes. With any luck, Drew DeArmond will be with us for the last 10 and give us his thoughts. But for now, here is uh, Avery Johnson talking Crimson Tide basketball. All right, let's start off with an opening statement. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Thoughts on your team that you've seen so far? We're still learning how to pass, dribble, and shoot. <laughs> um, we, we, we love to uh, pass the ball to the defense and not the offense. But, no, our guys are working hard. Um, you know, this is the second year of our program, so we know a little bit more about um, each other, a little bit more about the league, um, about where we need to go to uh, become a tournament team. So our guys, have, you know, had a very rigorous off-season program uh, this past summer, and and kind of a training camp style format um, over the last you know week or so. But they've worked hard, been very coachable. We hope to become a better ball handling and decision-making team, which was one of our Achilles heel last year. Of course, you guys all know we weren't a very good rebounding team. And we think we've addressed um, some of the problem areas that we've had, you know, through recruiting and getting healthy. Uh, Dejon Ingram, our starting point guard, is healthy. Uh, he, he helps uh, in a lot of different areas because he's more of a triple-double threat. Corbin Collins, a fifth-year guy, comes in as a guy that's historically been a good positive assist-to-turnover ratio guy. He can, you know, make plays for us offensively. We have some guys that sat out last year, Nick King, Avery Johnson, Jr., um, that we feel because they were in our red shirt program, they'll be able to step in and help us. And some other recruits like Braxton Key and Armand Davis, so... Uh, we feel our strength's going to be in numbers, but overall we, we've had a pretty good off season, and I know our guys are anxious for the season to start. Coach, what does Bozo bring to you as far as rebounding? Boy, he, you know, on a per minute basis in terms of rebounding, especially for us at the offensive end, since we were 329th in the in the in the NCA in terms of rebounding, he he helps us. We need to get extra possessions. Um, Bola helps on the free throw line getting his extra possessions. He helps, you know, in the floor of the game. He has a post-up game. We can actually throw him the ball. He's good both with his left and his right hand. Uh, He'll get a chance to not only play five for us like he did um, the last several years, but he'll be able to play some four. And we think if we can get him at four, uh, hopefully we can win some of those matchups, unlike last year. You know, Braxton is a guy that we can put anywhere on the floor, probably except the five position. You know, he's, you know, you may see him at four uh, when we want to play a little bit smaller because we need his ball handling ability. He's a big three. You know, he has an NBA three type of a body. Um, good decision maker, improved his jump shot, unbelievable on defense. He can play some point forward, so he gives us a lot of versatility we didn't have. John Pelford. Corbin Collins, does he uh, 
Well, you know, you, you remember the kid Anthony Collins that A&M had last year? You know, they brought him on, slid Caruso to the two-guard position, and he was another ball handler, and that worked out pretty good for my good friend Billy Kennedy, right? Uh, so Corbin, we hope, can bring us that type of, you know, stability, uh, consistency, toughness. He's a really good defender. He takes care of the ball. And unlike Anthony, uh, we think Corbin is going to be a terrific three-point shooter for us uh, when he's off the ball playing with Dejon. So he gives us a calmness. You know, losing Retino by time is a pretty big hole for us. But we don't think we're going to have that type of a player this year, but we hope across the board we'll be better offensively because I'm not going to be able to sleep at night with us scoring 65 points a game. I can... I can live with our defense. We, you know, if you give up 66, 67 points, and your opponents are only shooting 40 percent from the field, you know that should be a tournament type team. But you know, our Achilles' heel was offensively, and uh, we we think Corbin's going to help us with a lot of our new guys in that area. Are uh, you asking me about John yeah, Pelfrey? How, how is he working in, and, and what do you expect from him this year? John's been great. Um, you know, I specifically. When we knew we were going to make a change, uh, and Coach Scott, you know, went back to be with his family, um, we were looking strategically for a coach that had been a head coach. He's been a head coach twice. We were looking for somebody that had tons of experience in the SEC. He has tons of experience, both as a player and an assistant coach and a head coach. So he checked all of the boxes. And um, he's been fun to work with. It's good to have another guy that's been a head coach to understand, you know, what I'm going through as a head coach. And um, he, he's, we have great chemistry on our staff. He's a fun guy. Uh, and, and, and now with John and Bob Simon, our other associate head coach, and Antoine Petway, who we think is one of the best recruiters in the country, as a coaching staff, when we go – into a young man's um, living room to meet with he and his family for a home visit, we feel we can be as competitive with any staff in the country. Did, did you know John at all? I didn't. Uh, no, I didn't. only time I still haven't forgiven him for this, um, you know, we lost to Kentucky twice, three times last year, and I also lost to, I lost to them my last year at Southern University, my last game. Uh, in 1988, we played him in Cincinnati, by the way, in the tournament. You, 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 oh, it's a home. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah. They had 16,000 fans. We had 500. <laughs> <laughs> and John was on that team. He was, uh-huh. was red-shirted. <laughs> your thoughts on Moses Kingsley being named uh, preseason player? Oh, deserving. Uh, Moses is terrific. You know, I think he, he has a bright future at the next level. I wish he would have just declared and stayed in the draft uh, because we got to go to Arkansas this year and when they get in trouble you know they he, he, he's a problem solver so he's a tough matchup for us and we didn't do a good job of handling him he's improved his jump shot um, so he's a man's man on the floor so he's a tough cover you, you obviously know all about you know NBA players how does his game translate to the pros do you think well the NBA has gone away from the traditional center so, you know, he's a guy that can go in, in the league and play some four when teams want to go big and 
probably play some small five because the game, if you look at the finals last year, it's about quickness. Most of your power forwards are playing center, and most of your small forwards that can shoot the three are, are they call stretch fours now. So the game's changing. I think he'll fit right in with the direction that the league is going in. He, he entered the draft to pull his name back. How big is that for, for Mike in Arkansas to get him back? That's huge for Mike. Yeah, that's big for Mike. The rest of us coaches in the SEC, you know, when you got to play Arkansas and you start going over scouting reporting, you got Hannes, who's a prolific three-point shooter, and you know, and Kingsley can work inside. It's, it's it's not a happy scouting report before you play against them, and you know, and I. But at the same time, it's good for our league because we need more than three teams to make the NCAA tournament. And I hope, obviously, Bama. I hope we can break through this year. We were a bubble team last year in our first year, and hopefully we'll have some good fortune on our side and break through. But the rest of our teams, we, we need more teams in the tournament. And, you know, if Alabama's in it, I'm, I hope Arkansas makes it with quite a few of our other teams in the league. Avery, you mentioned that uh, the league is like uh, Kentucky's Michael Jackson and everybody else, Marlon and Tito. What, uh, did I really say that? Yes, you did. Okay. <laughs> Can you prove it? Is it on Twitter? I know, but I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just wondering how the rest of you guys can become Michael Jackson. Well, the first, first of all, um, it, it's not just about beating Kentucky. It, it's about joining them as being one of the prolific <laughs> basketball powers in the country. And one of the ways you do it is you got to roll up your sleeves and recruit. And you got to get some of the high-level players or, in our case, get some of the three- and four-star players that you feel can take that next step and, and, and compete at, at the highest level. So that's, that's the way you got to do it. There, everybody can't go to one school, okay? There's only, you know, 13 scholarships. All right, so and probably that particular school is going to get maybe three, four, five players. There are a lot of other terrific, talented players around the country. We we need to keep them in the SEC instead of them, get, you know, get escaping going to some of the other conferences. So we just got to be competitive. We got to build relationships. You know, I, I started building some relationships with some kids and their families when I first got the job here. 15 or 16 months ago, hopefully you'll see that magnify in our 2017 and 18 and 19 class where we can b become competitive. And I see a lot of what's happening at some of the other schools that, you know, obviously you can't mention names, but that have gotten some verbal commitments. I like what I'm seeing around around the landscape of our conference. Hey, what about working with football? Does that mean something better, or how is that with you? I think this is a huge ally for us. Coach Saban? Uh, it's been great. I, I go to, you know, when I have time, I go to quite a few of their practices. Um, I have a, not only a great relationship with Coach Saban, but other coaches on the staff. Coach Burns, our running backs, and a special team coach is a St. Alt guy in my high school and coached at Southern University, my alma mater. But um, as I said from day one, if you guys rewind the tape from my press conference, we're not trying to be in the shadows of football. Okay? We're trying to partner with football, walk side by side, and figure out a way that we can leverage their success to help us. Um, so we, I embrace it. 
So I'm not, you know, Coach Saban laughs all the time. He says I've, I've met with him more in the last 16 months than the last two coaches combined, okay? That's intentional. I, I like to pick his brain about things. I like going to their practices and watching him work with the defensive backs every day, just like I work with our point guards. So it's, it's a lot of synergy there, and uh, we, we have a strong relationship. Excuse me? Based on the way your team picked on last year. Yeah. Are you rated national Well, we are. We're, with the preseason polls, we picked seventh. I think that's probably about right for our team. Last year, we were 13th. Nobody, we didn't have any, we didn't have a lot returning. We lost our top four or five scores, and we had so many different question marks. We have a few guys coming back this year, two starters. Um, we know a little bit more about where we are. We think we added some valuable um, guys in terms of recruiting that address some of our weaknesses. So I would say we probably were where we should be right there in the middle of the pack. And if we play well, hopefully we can move up. Our non-conference schedule is pretty stiff. You know, when you look at some of the games that we have non-conference, um, it's a pretty challenging schedule. But, but we hope that can help us, you know, be a little bit more ready to play come conference time uh, in the SEC because we think that the SEC as a whole, all of our teams are going to be a whole lot stronger. I like our coaching roster in the SEC. That was one of the attractive uh, reasons why I came to the SEC because of the coaching roster. So our teams are catching up. Um, just a guy that can handle the ball, steady our offense, terrific on defense, uh, very confident, has some SEC experience because he, you know, started off at LSU. So. You know, we, we needed some experience, especially with losing uh, Retin Obasa. You had mentioned you were a bubble team last year. None of the four new coaches in the conference made the tournament last year. I'm just wondering, how tough is it to win immediately in this conference? Oh, it, it's tough, yeah. You know, because of, I can't speak for the other coaches, but I know based on what we inherited, we were just trying to survive, okay? I was hoping we win five games. Didn't have a, didn't think we would win 18. Okay, and it wasn't like I had a lack of confidence or I don't believe the impossible, but it's just I knew what I was looking at every day. But our team uh, significantly overachieved. Um, they came together. They were very coachable. Um, but, you know, it's tough. And we were right there, and, you know, we are playing a home game after we won a big game at LSU, and we come back and dropped our next two home games. So it's, you know, and, and, and the bubble burst. And, and But a lot of our guys that are coming back this year, they were a part of that. So hopefully we'll have much more confidence when we're in that situation. Avery, you established that Alabama and Louisville building at Auburn as well. Do you see a day when Alabama-Auburn becomes more meaningful? Yeah, we, and we talk about it. Bruce and I talk about it, you know. Um, I know we're supposed to be enemies, but when we see each other, those are the things we're talking about. How can we get our programs become national powers, just like our, you know, football teams are? And and I think it starts with recruiting, getting the most out of our players at at the, on the biggest stages. And um, when both of us are in the tournament, then 
our rivalry is going to mean a whole lot more. But it's, it's just like when I was in, in NBA. You had San and Spurs, the Rockets, and the Mavericks. They were all making the playoffs pretty much every year at the same time, right? So that made that in-state in rivalry, you know, much more uh, uh, effective and fans really got into it. So fans are not going to be into it when one team is, you know, or both teams are 10 and 20. It's just not going to work. Avery, okay, go ahead. Avery, you said you thought you were only going to win five games and you actually turned out and won 18. You established a defensive culture in your year one. What's the next step now? Well, that was our only choice. When I looked at our team June 1st, I said, boys, I told my coaches, I said, boys, we got one choice if we want to be effective. We got to try to become the best defensive team we can because we can't score, okay? So that's what we did. Now this year, we want to become more balanced. We hope that we can be balanced on both sides of the floor, uh, keep the steady defense, hopefully have a little bit more of a better plus-minus differential. We know if you're a minus one or a minus two, you're not very good. The teams that are very good are teams that are plus eight and plus ten. So we hope, you know, with having better ball handlers and maybe more consistent three-point shooting across the board instead of just having one guy in Edwards from last year, hopefully we can get better three-point shooting from guys like Shannon Hill, Nick King, Riley Norris, Corbin Collins, A.J. Jr., um, Armand Davis, um, you know, Braxton Key, so that we won't be so easily scouted like we were last year. So become a better uh, balanced team more than just a defensive team. Are you seeing a light come on for Shannon a little bit this last year? Yeah, I just think now he's healthy, you know, off-season foot surgery. Uh, you know, his body needs to continue to improve, but his attitude's been great. And uh, he was a guy, again, he was a guy that didn't know me. Um, a lot of those guys were loyal um, to Coach Grant and, Coach Grant did a terrific job in terms of leaving our program in great academic standing. and um, So, you know, now our guys, they're in the second year of their program with us, and they, they kind of know what what I like and how my brain works. And uh, sometimes it was a little weird at times last year, but they know what's expected of them, and I think they're a lot more comfortable. What do you think about Kentucky? Always at the top again this year. Well, you got to embrace their success. I mean, yeah, you want to beat them, but Coach Cal has done a great job with, with, with his program. And while others are maybe envious or jealous, I'm not. I, I, I study them real. I study them a lot, and um, I, I, I like to study what successful people do. I think it's great for our conference. So um, I, I think we have to. The rest of the schools, on a consistent basis, we have to close the gap. I think it'll be great for our conference. But at the same time, outside of playing Alabama, you know, in non-conference and when they're not playing Alabama, we want our teams to be successful. You say you study them. What do you study exactly? Well, we just study all facets of what's made them successful. And, um, you know, obviously it's not just Coach Cal. He has a terrific staff. You know, and uh, we feel we want to have a competitive coaching staff, and we want we want to be just as competitive in the recruiting arena. Um, so I, I just think that's that's the key. I, I look at 
you know, teams in baseball. I look at the Spurs. I look at a lot of teams. I look at a, a, a lot of corporations. Of why some corporations like this book, Good to Be Great. It talks about some of the corporations that have stayed at the top because they went from good to great. Others crashed. And uh, why was that? So I look at. A, I, I like to study a lot of successful people and programs. I know your staff liked uh, Schneider Gerard a lot who ended up at Mississippi State. Um, what did what, you like about him so much, and what do you think he can bring to the Bulldogs? Well, I think uh, Ben's done a great job, and uh, Schneider's a kid that I've been knowing for, you know, a little while because he knew his AAU coach. Um, but, you know, he's a guy that takes up a lot of space. And, um, you know, he, he's an underrated passer. I like big guys also that make free throws. He's a good free throw shooter. So, you know, he he's a guy that's going to add a lot to their team. Hey, you were involved with Coach's First Cancer. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about that and any personal you have? Yeah, my wife signed me up for that. <laughs> but, um, you know, the Coaches versus Cancer is very important to me because my, my mom died of cancer. So whenever I hear the word, it's, a, it's yeah, on one sense an ugly word, but on the other um, since I want to be a part of the solution, bringing awareness to cancer. And, you know, when, when we talked about you know making threes and you know people donating money to to help uh, find a uh, cure for cancer, I'm I'm all for it because even though it's a quote unquote ugly ugly word, we we want to be a part of the solution. And, it, it really is something that's near and dear to my heart because it's hit so many of my loved ones and friends that um, we want to find a cure, and I want to be a part of it. And I think the coaches versus cancer is an unbelievable um, way to get involved, and I'm glad I'm a part of it. Hey, you've been in. Specific, but in terms of recruiting, how do you feel about your We, we feel very strongly about the kids in our state. Uh, we want to try to keep the really good players and players that have strong character and we think that can be competitive in the classroom. We want to try to keep those kids in our state. And we want Alabama to be a destination for those kids and not necessarily leave out of state and go to the other programs and be a part of championship other places or NCAA teams. So um, we feel we're very competitive. We've built some great relationships with our high school coaches in a variety of ways, whether it's team camps. Um, I had a coaching clinic this year. A lot of our coaches came to my coaching clinics. Um, we host a lot of them at our games. So we just feel it's a relationship-driven business, and uh, we think the byproduct of that is being able to potentially be competitive with recruiting a lot of those kids. On that note, how hard is it to compete with a Kentucky or you know, a Duke or one of these programs that routinely get these one-and-done five-star talents? What's your pitch to these? Well, our pitch, um, we, we don't mention other schools on our recruiting list. We just talk about Alabama. You know, I talk about my resume. Um, if it's about NBA, I have a little bit of an idea of what that's all about. Um, so, and, but if it's also about graduating, you know, I'm all for kids graduating. We have a lot of first-generation graduates 
that are going to graduate from Alabama. So I'm pro-education also. But we tell them you can come to Alabama and be a part of something uh, different. Uh, you can be the first to lead us to the help lead us to the Final Four. So that's our set. With, with your uh, MBA experience, you talk about plus minus differential, and I know you're getting a lot more analytics for you guys here more that. Yeah, we are. We our analytics department wasn't where I wanted last year. I think it's a two. I'm not like some teams that think it's the two, like these players are robots. But I think it's helpful in a lot of different ways. Uh, Mark Cuban got me into using analytics. He was one of the first ones. Um, and I, I think we need to continue to grow our analytics department. We're, we're doing that as we speak, and it's definitely not where I want it to be, but uh, it's, it's a good tool to utilize. And, uh, but at the same time, it's also about chemistry and teamwork and players knowing how to have the right type of mindset and confidence, especially at the most um, physical and toughest moments of the game. Avery, there's so much attention paid to shooting, being a good shooter, not a good shooter. How much do you think all of that attention can uh, overshadow somebody that might be able to contribute in a lot of other ways, yeah, regardless know, of shooting? You know, this is a year of, you know, style, right? It's, it's three-point shot. See, even like a team like Golden State, everybody's attracted to Steph Curry or Klay Thompson, the way they shoot it or Villanova winning the game on a last-second shot. But we tend to forget about somebody had to make the pass. Somebody had to, somebody had to dribble. So we put just as much emphasis on dribbling and passing and taking care of the ball and making quality passes and not just the end result. So shooting is a huge part. I love the three-point shot. I love it more than I did when I first started coaching. I love the way it stretches the floor. I love getting three-point baskets around the basket. I don't like when we get fouled and we miss easy layups around the basket. Um, and I don't think the in-between shot is obsolete. I think it still has a place in our game. But I'm a big free throw guy. You know, I believe in getting to the free throw line and making free throws. So um, I know the three-point shot is is a sexy part of the game, but I also like some of the more pure parts of the game and the fundamentals. I wonder if it's harder to get a guy to, to be just be competitive or to be a defender. You know, kind of intangible. That was Alabama basketball coach Avery Johnson. Sorry, I had to cut off the audio because it goes kind of squirrely there at the end. But uh, major thank you to Kerry Clark. Kerry Clark, good friend of the show, provided us with that audio. So hat tip to you, Kerry. But uh, – Got about eight minutes left on the show, and I am happy to be joined by my uh, my BAMS cohort, Drew DeArmond. Drew, how you doing this evening? Good, Thomas, and uh, it's going to be a major event for Avery Johnson and the staff. I'm sure you mentioned it. It's going to be the Crimson Tide Soup Store uh, tip-off beginning at 6 p.m. Uh, Central Time tomorrow uh, at Coleman Coliseum, and uh, all UA students and Season ticket holders will be get will get in free, and it's going to be general admission seating. The rest, uh, only five dollars per ticket, and it's going to be kind of like an NBA All Star game. They're going to have a skills competition, a three point shootout. Then the men will have a dunk contest, uh, and the, the coolest part uh, to me is that Jim Farmer, Gerald Wallace, and Mo Williams, along with 
uh, former women's player Nikki Hegstetter, who is the boy her, her boyfriend, pardon me, uh, is uh, uh, Bradley Bozeman, the starting center for the Crimson Tide. She was a very good player, solid role player for the women's program uh, for the last uh, several seasons, uh, finishing her career last year, one of the better games of her career, a victory over Tennessee, which was the first in, since the mid-'80s for the Alabama Crimson Tide. And then CBS sideline reporter Allie LaForce, that will be the five people that judge the dunk contest Reese Davis, who, as we know, is a Muscle Shoals native and an Alabama alum, will also make a special appearance. So should be a lot going on with the basketball program. Colin Sexton and his entire family, one of their last two major targets, will be in town. I expect him to be in this class for Alabama. As I tweeted earlier tonight, the next domino to fall. The final one will be, in my opinion, John Petty, who looks like he won't be in town. They have basketball practice after school and then – he has to take the ACT in the morning, Thomas. But still, Avery Johnson making a lot of waves in the men's basketball. Oh, I remember the ACT, and it's gotten even longer from when I took it. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I, I, the writing portion, whoever decided to add that needs to have their head examined. But this is sports radio, so who cares about such silly things? You know, Drew, it was a good first hour with Redfish. Uh, I picked his brain about everything Alabama. A lot, a lot of discussion about Tennessee and how, you know, Fish actually said something interesting that caught me off guard, how with Tennessee starting to really feel like kind of struggle, given the yes. injuries and given the lack of depth, Butch Jones could honestly be parlaying himself onto the hot seat because how much higher can they get given where they were? It's kind of one of those things. Tennessee became the hunted this year, and quite frankly, they have fallen. Yeah, they have, and they're going to lose a lot of good talent to the NFL draft. They talk about brick by brick and building the program, but, uh, you know, I, I don't see a, a huge answer behind Josh Dobbs at quarterback. Then you look at losing Derek Barnett, likely to the NFL draft, Thomas. Uh, will, will they get Jalen Hurd and Alvin Kamara back? We will see. The word before the season was that, was that both would leave and go to the NFL. Uh, and, you know, and really, they still haven't been able to get the, the enough difference makers at wide receiver. I don't see the streak ending anytime soon with Alabama. I think Alabama's dominating Tennessee. I think they've got in Tennessee's head. I hope Phil Fulmer's enjoying it. They, it, To me, it's karma for uh, the things that they got away with, thanks to Roy Kramer in the SEC office, you know, about 15, 20 years ago. Uh, and then Phil Fulmer, the, the quote will live in infamy for him, saying Alabama will be out of business in two years. Well, the only one that's out of business is Phil Fulmer. He's no longer coaching. Alabama is dominant. They're going to be dominant for a long time as long as uh, Nick Saban is in town. And then if they get the, the hire the right guy to replace him, not going to be easy. Uh, but the Crimson Tide, uh, what they're doing right now was the worst nightmare for any Tennessee fan. And I hope that young man who had the uh, who has been uh, kind of immortalized with his 1998 Tennessee National Championship hat on uh, keeps that because it's the only one they're going to win probably for the next 20 to 30 years. I can't say I disagree, and uh, the karmic, the karmic retribution has been both sweet and continuing. But you know, at the same time, who cares? It's Tennessee. They're an right. also like honestly, they're an also ran, and I would keep an, a weather eye out on Florida getting another streak going because I think Coach Max got the right stuff. But we'll see. We'll see. That that's. That, that, those are just, quite frankly, a couple of teams for Alabama to annihilate come the first week in December, if you want my, my honest fan-charged opinion about it. But 
The other thing, Drew, we talked about, Fish and I got real, real deep into the A&M game. So before we get off the air, what are your thoughts about this game, and what's your score pick? Well, you know, I, I like Alabama in the game. Uh, I just think you win games inside out at the line of scrimmage. And when I was, uh, you know, analyzing the Arkansas game, I felt like Alabama was by far the best team on the O-line and D-line, and that played itself out. Uh, and then I felt like going into the Tennessee game, I knew how banged up they were, uh, even though I knew Derek Barnett would cause some problems in Vereen. But I felt like they were still much better on the O-line and D-line, and that played itself out. It basically turned into a scrimmage. A&M is more talented uh, than these two previous teams, but I still think Alabama is much better on the O-line and D-line. Miles Garrett and Deshaun Hall are very good pass rushers. They're pretty good against the run. Uh, but Tennessee, even though Garrett only played third downs, uh, Deshaun Hall played in this game, and they they scorched uh, the uh, Aggies for nearly 700 yards, even though they were banged up. Uh, they did have more offensive linemen than they had against Alabama, but it's still 700 yards is, is just something to scratch your head about. Uh, and uh, Tennessee went up and down the field on them, threw for 400, rushed for 283, I believe. And I just think Alabama, their offensive line is getting better every day. I love Bradley Bozeman at center. As Redfish has said, he's mauling people. Uh, Lester Cotton will probably be back in the lineup at right guard. Coach Saban said he played his best game of the year last week. Uh, Pierce Baker's very solid. Cam Robb, he's, he's you know received some criticism, some of it unjust, I think. Now, because I think he's being compared to Jonah Williams, who is a generational talent and has played the best football, maybe of any tackle in the SEC, I know uh, our colleague William Barger thinks he could be the greatest in Tide history, and yes, folks, that means ever uh, with John Hanna and Dwight Stevenson. He said uh, that it's, tonight. He's, he's, it's a ver- he's staying on the bandwagon. <laughs> and at the very least, the best tackle ever. So you're talking about someone that's playing at a very high level. Cam Robinson should be very motivated to play well against Miles Garrett a third year in a row. He can make a lot of money in this game, and I just think the Tide overall – is better on the O-line against that uh, A&M D-line. I still think the A&M, the middle of that defensive line is suspect. Uh, and I think they can have some success running at Deshaun Hall uh, and Miles Garrett. And I think overall, when you look at that uh, the A&M offensive line, they've got a freshman, redshirt freshman, and sophomore in the middle. And, and nobody has been able to handle Deron Payne. I talked to Phil Savage tonight on the radio program I was guesting on for West Neighbors. He's talked about the unsung heroes being Deron Payne and Sean Dion Hamilton. And Deron Payne has been so disruptive. A&M couldn't handle him last year. I don't think they're going to be able to handle him this time. And I do think, uh, obviously, uh, that they've done a very nice job uh, with uh, their freshman running back and then Trevor Knight. But the bottom line is I just really feel like that, you know, all we heard the last week was Alvin Kamara was the best running back right now in the SEC. Alabama shut him down. They shut down Raleigh Williams. This guy's the leading rusher in the SEC, but I think they're going to be able to slow him down. They just The key is not to give up the explosive run, the 70-, 80-yard run. And then with Trevor Knight, yes, he's mobile and a dual threat, but he's not the kind of mobile I think that's killed Alabama in the past. Uh, he's, he, it's, it's, it's not a Nick Marshall. It's not a Johnny Manziel that's almost more quick than fast and can make you miss. I think Alabama can contain Trevor Knight and make him throw from the pocket. And if uh, Jalen Hurts plays a clean game, he didn't last week, and they still won very impressively, but he, if he uh, plays a clean game, one turnover or less, I just think Alabama's going to win this game. And I think they're going to win it 34-17 because I think they're better in all three phases than Texas A&M. And I've already seen Steve, you know, Bruce Feldman picked 
A&M 23-21. I saw another pick by an A&M writer that they were going to quote-unquote shock the world in college football. But the way Alabama – the way you beat Alabama is to make explosive plays and hope the tide is not focused and turns it over three or four times. But, you know, Jalen Hurts, I think, wants to impress uh, in front of his uh, home state school. I think Alabama's continued to be focused and motivated. I don't think they're as beat up as they have been in the past when they've gone on a gauntlet like this. And I think Alabama's going to win and win impressively. Well, Drew, I'm with you. I, I've uh, I, I've been thoroughly chastised thinking that Tennessee-Bama was going to be a close game, and I expect Alabama to really put take it to Texas A&M. I, I'm I don't like the interior, like you said, of either line. I think it's ridiculous that Tennessee was able to roll up as many rushing yards as they did, particularly when you factor in that uh, that was a lot of it between the tackles, which. Given how Lester Cotton performed, you touched on this. I saw some uh, – I love numbers, if you hadn't guessed. Right. But uh, he graded at a 99.1 for pass pro this past week, which is stratospheric. You know, that that's fantastic ability for Lester Cotton. That's in pass pro, but still. So I really – I feel like Alabama is going to be able to – I don't want to say do as they please, but I do think they're going to be able to impose their will uh, something that Olin Buchanan said in the audio that you provided, and thank you for that, was that A&M has played good three quarters. Well, if you play a good three quarters against Alabama, you're going to get annihilated in the fourth. So I- I'm with you. I think Alabama wins this game pretty comfortably. I've actually got 45-24 because – and honestly, if we walk out of Bryant-Denny Stadium this upcoming Saturday, Drew – and Alabama's put up 52, 59, maybe even something like 63, I would not be shocked. I think this offense is continuing to come together, and I think this defense, quite frankly, is still the fraud that Texas A&M has had over the past few years. Well, Travion Williams has been tremendous at running back, but, again, he's more of a speed back. I, you know, I, the, the rationale for one of the predictions was that Alabama would have trouble with the uh, zone read. They've seen enough zone read. I mean, come on. They it's, see it's it every day back, in practice, for God's sake. You know, and, and, <laughs> and, 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 and to be honest, this is not the defense of even two years ago, and Alabama won 59 to nothing. This is a defense that's playing faster. That's uh, the fastest of the Nick Saban era. You know, Jeremy Pruitt's track record at defending – us, uh, you know, offenses like this is pretty good, uh, you know, and I just think overall Alabama's the better football team. I think they've got a better coaching staff. I'm not as high on, uh, you know, Kevin Sumlin. I never have been. Uh, John Chavis is a good defensive coordinator. I think Jeremy Pruitt's an elite defensive coordinator. Uh, you know, and you knew the Chief would improve their defense, but I'm like you. I, they were, they're still giving up about 200 yards rushing per game, uh, and I just and they're really ninth against the pass. Just want to put that in there. And then, you know, and Alabama held Tennessee, who rushed for 280 against uh, Texas A&M. They held them at Tennessee uh, to under 100 yards. They're only giving up, you know, 70 yards per game or thereabouts. Uh, they do a really good job with their run fits. If Alabama like, tackles well, the one thing that worries me is the wide receiver group for A&M. They are much deeper than Tennessee. They have uh, Josh Reynolds. Uh, they have uh, Ricky Seals-Jones, Christian Kirk who's only averaging nine yards a catch, surprisingly, uh, but in uh, speedy Knoll. But, uh, you know, the, the Alabama secondary kind of took it personally when they struggled against Arkansas. They tackled really well against Tennessee. If they do the same thing and make them earn it, I think, you know, they'll make a few plays, and I think they'll score some points. But I think Alabama is going to be very tough in the red zone. 
and uh, just like Auburn was until Auburn cracked. But Auburn couldn't sustain enough offense. As you said, Alabama's got plenty of offense. I think they've got too many weapons, quite frankly. You've got a four-pronged running game uh, with Jalen Hurts, uh, with Damian Harris, uh, with uh, Joshua Jacobs, even Bo Scarborough. Uh, and then and then you also have the wide receiver group. You have Calvin Ridley. You have Ardarius Stewart, even a Gary Dieter, uh, you know, and, and, and Cam Sims. And then you have O.J. Howard. I just think there's too many weapons, and these corners for Texas A&M are very suspect. The safeties are good, uh, but I still think uh, they're better in run support than pass coverage. And I just think overall – if, if as long as Jalen Hurts doesn't get too excited and try to do too much against his in-state school and, and, and get sloppy with the ball, Alabama's going to win this game and win it comfortably because I think they have the advantages everywhere. I, the, only, the only intangible thing you can read about it giving A&M a shot is an underdog role. But that would mean Alabama wasn't focused, and I think they're going to be focused. If I were the players, I'd be sick and tired of hearing about Trevor Knight and that 2013 Sugar Bowl when nobody cared after they lost to Auburn, and I would take his head off and I would let them rot. I think that's a fantastic way to close the show, quite honestly, True. And no, I agree. I, I am I was at that Sugar Bowl game and it was it was it was decidedly not fun to cover because Alabama you know, it was funny, I had a conversation with a, a former AL dot com writer and he's like, Yeah, they were just kinda lackadaisical. The second he said that I was like, Oh no. That happened right before the game. But Drew, thanks for being with us this last segment. Uh Yes sir. Hopefully, hopefully, we will be able to celebrate another uh, another Alabama win and going into the bye week. But that's it for this week's BAMS Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. We'll be back next week from 7 to 9. Same great place. Same great channel. Until then, good night and roll tide. Roll tide, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.